0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Alone podcast. We have with us today Adam Riley. Adam was a participant on season nine of the Alone show. So Adam, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and you've got some exciting stuff coming up that I'm sure you're in full prep mode for. So thanks for taking time to slow down and sit down for a little bit.
1: Yeah, thanks for talking with me. Tonight. I'm excited to, to chat.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to know you and see where we go and uh, I think the best thing to do uh, first is just to let you share your bio and and tell the world how you present Adam to the world, and then <laughs> I'll just go from there.
1: Well, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Season 9 yet, I um, have done a few cool things in my life. Um, I don't really like to describe myself like right off the bat by what I do for work, but it seems to be like the first question everyone asks. So I'm a tradesman, uh, I'm a professional alpaca shearer and a carpenter. And both of those jobs are pretty seasonal. So I spend a lot of time on the road traveling, uh, both for fun and for work. And um, the last 20 years I've spent a lot of time in other countries and and doing some pretty cool stuff. I like to sail, uh, I like to spend time in the woods, and I like to spend time alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you
0: said you, you don't like to start with, with what you do for work, and then you started with what you do for work. <laughs> um, so if you had it your way, I guess, and, and you were doing this the Adam way, how would you describe yourself, and, and what would you give as your bio?
1: I would say that I am an outdoor enthusiast, uh sailor writer and um person who enjoys being in wilderness
0: okay that's a, a lot so what, I want to jump into um we'll avoid the work stuff cuz i think you know PACA stuff is going to be i'm i'm very curious about that um, <laughs> probably just because I've been spit at by alpacas before, but um, we'll start with the sailing. So you have a a little adventure coming up and and maybe this is a good way to, to segue all of this, but do you have any, I mean, obviously you've got, I believe a Kickstarter going right now, but do you have any other places that you want that people can find you, that they can look you up and see your stuff? I don't know if it's your writing or if you're doing anything with your adventures or anywhere people can find you social or anything else.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm not super active on social media, but I do have a YouTube channel um, that people can go to, Adam Riley, and uh, obviously I'm on Instagram and Facebook and and that sort of thing, but um, our Kickstarter is active for a couple more weeks, and we're raising money, uh, myself and my expedition partner, we're raising money for an expedition up to the Arctic next year, to attempt to row the Northwest Passage, 2,000 miles of the Northwest Passage. So we're taking small homemade rowboats and we're going to go west to east um, in the summer of 2023. It's uh, never been done before uh, in rowboats, so we're trying to be the first. It's been attempted many times. but we're hoping to be the guys to do it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I will. I'll have a link for the the YouTube down below. And do you happen to know the the uh, Kickstarter, like your URL or anything that you can share? I'll just it's I'll have very that in the notes long as well.
1: URL. But the uh, documentary is called Over the Top. Over the Force Top Passage Expedition. Okay. Yeah, not cool. to be confused with the 1980s uh, arm wrestling movie, <laughs> <laughs> which i've featured stallone <laughs> i've never heard
0: of this movie so um I've dated
1: myself a little usually bit. <laughs> we
0: get book reviews but uh an over-the-top arm wrestling movie with stallone that sounds like a, a good one as well so we'll get the youtube channel and, and obviously that kickstarter linked below um so a, a rowboat passage of the northwest passage you said it's been attempted multiple times like recently attempted or
1: yeah so actually this year there was two expeditions that attempted it. one 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 guy on a stand up paddleboard and i know crazy <laughs> and another dude uh oh sorry another team in sea kayaks and neither of them made it they were both maybe about 4 or 500 miles i believe Sorry,
0: when Adam said stand up paddleboard, I was in the middle of taking a quick sip of water, and so why he was like, I know, it's because I just about choked myself. <laughs> so there's a so there's a group of folks that are kind of actively attempting to to yeah. be the first to complete. right. So this
1: this is this is uh, probably one of the last firsts in Arctic uh, exploration. It's one of the last unclaimed records. So um, in the last ten years really is it's only become possible because of climate change and um the reduction in sea ice in the summertime Let's up there due to so. is it extended season or
0: is it because the ice is coming yeah. in
1: closer no so so the the ice is receding a little bit more and more every year i mean it's it, it fluctuates obviously based or on open the, water um, is coming closer weather like I <laughs> yeah um but uh, it is historically at the at the lowest it's ever been. So, whereas a hundred years ago, you know, you would have needed an ice-breaking vessel to, to get through, even in the summertime, um, the the, the passage is open more and more each year. So, if we have a good year next year, a mild year, uh, we should have a clear pass.
0: Well, that's but- negative. Calling that a good year. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if we lose get, more get, if we lose more for us. sea ice, <laughs> this'll be great. Yeah.
0: So yeah. she said about the last ten years is when this has been kind of something that people are actually able to start tracking towards?
1: Yeah. So in 2010 there was a pretty uh prominent expedition. Um a guy, a group of four guys and an ocean going rowboat attempted it um i've actually spoken with that guy quite a bit about his uh his expedition attempt and that actually informed the type of boats that we were going to take because they 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 tried to do it in this ocean rowboat which has big tall sides and sleeping cabin. so you have two guys in the cabin and two guys on the oars at any any given time but it was so big and heavy um that they weren't able to pull it up on shore very easily anytime the wind picked up they were they were battling the wind um and uh it, it wasn't it wasn't the right boat for for the mission so we're, we're going smaller we're going faster um and there's been multiple attempts since then uh we actually found out there's a big expedition a british expedition attempting it next year mm-hmm. uh with with 24 guys oh um, man
0: so they're Had in the stats in their direction
1: yeah but uh you know I guess the with old, that comes complications. The old, the old saying: if you want to go fast, go alone. Yeah. Um, and while I'm not going to be alone, it's just me and my partner. Um, we're both we're both rock solid on this thing, so I, I actually think we have the advantage, uh, oversized yeah. personally, speed speed oversized on this on this expedition.
0: Yeah, that's that's wild. So, how long have how long has this been on your radar?
1: Uh, Ten years or. No. Well, I've been I, I I've been long been interested in Arctic exploration. Uh like you were saying before we before we started the podcast, I've I've been reading books on Arctic exploration since I was a kid. And so has Maddie, my uh, my partner. And it was actually his idea. Um we met through the alone experience. And uh, I invited him to come work shearing with me this spring. And we were just sitting around on the front porch, BS, and, and uh, the the Northwest Passage came up. And originally we were, we were talking about doing it in an umiak, which is a native skin on frame boat that uh, native peoples up there used. Um, sometimes as many as 25 30 people in one of these boats and you can sail them and, and row them and they're 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 awesome um but once we found out we did some research and we found out that the the, the passage had not been done by human powered craft that was when we kind of uh the, the the trip evolved into okay let's we can do this in row boats we can we can row this thing and
0: hmm. uh i have to tell you i love like, I mean, it was subtle there, but, uh, I guess something romantic inside of me loves the idea that you all decided to do, um, I'm going to call it crazy because a lot of people call it crazy, but I actually think it's cool. Like, I don't, I don't mean crazy, but that's like the best way to describe I mean,
1: it. it. It is, it is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm it's are on the same page. Like, crazy. I, I, don't, I don't mean like
0: y'all are nuts. No yeah. Um, but I, I love that you just kind of, I mean, you didn't even mean to, but You didn't, doesn't sound like you didn't realize that this would be a first passage in this manner when the idea first spawned. Is that what I just gathered there?
1: That's yeah, no, that's right. We just wanted it. We, we both just really wanted to go up there and do the thing.
0: Gotcha. I love that. Um, again, just maybe that's just like the, the romantic side, but just the idea of, Hey, let's go do something cool. Uh, and then there's obviously this other side of it that, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that that other side of it has turned into kind of a big motivating factor or is it uh, still just kind of
1: the record? The record was more like the cherry on top. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, that is really purely an ego thing. Like it's, 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 it's for me, the, the main motivation for going up there is that that part of the planet is undergoing a massive amount of change right now um both from climate change and also from from the uh effects of of people and and industry um because the pass is opening up more and more every year they're starting to see more commercial shipping up there starting to see uh more um oil and natural gas exploration we're starting to see um more international kind of uh fiascos between russia and canada and and everybody else so you know it's 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 a very very delicate ecosystem i mean there are campsites in the arctic that are hundreds of years old that look like someone just stepped away from them right because the, the that part of the planet things don't decompose quickly uh it takes it takes uh the landscape a long time to recover from from any impacts um so this this influence that is this influx of of influence that's coming from people uh is going to change it irrevocably for for the foreseeable future and if there's a time to do it now's the time
0: that's yeah that's do. it's interesting i guess that just kind of puts a lot into perspective when you stop and and really think about it um we were Adam and I were talking about books that we've both previously read about Arctic and, and polar exploration. And my recommendation, I'm just gonna throw it out there, is In the Kingdom of Ice by Hampton Sides. It's it's incredibly well done, if anyone at home is taking notes. Um, but yeah, same thing. A lot of these expeditions would get ice locked and, you know, end up on foot or dead or on foot and dead. I mean a very unforgiving place, really. And so it is kind of interesting to think that we are kind of in this weird place in time where navigation is more accessible to average means, <laughs> but that also kind of marks the, the death of what makes the place so romantic in a lot of ways, I think. So it's kind of an interesting, an interesting balance and an interesting point in time.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and uh, you know there, there's a lot going on up there right now that people don't know about, and you know we're we're planning on making a documentary of this thing. Uh, Matty is a he's a filmmaker, um, and he does some really great stuff. We will be taking a lot of camera equipment with us. That's what the Kickstarters for is to raise money for for better camera equipment so that we can really do justice to the to the landscape and and to the environment
0: this is going to turn into like the the over the top hour because i'm like so fascinated (laughs) like i've got got so many questions like as you're talking i'm thinking through um like so many things like like your boats are your boats done like your boats are built and ready
1: not not quite I'm, i'm 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 uh just kind of doing the finishing touches on my boat right now um, Maddie's a little further behind, but we'll, we're will planning on have both the d- boats done by uh, by the start of the new year. So you'll
0: each be rowing your own vessel. Yeah. What's your weight target for the, the boat itself?
1: So the boat <sighs> unloaded weighs a little under 100 pounds and um, we'll probably end up having about 250 to 300 pounds of equipment on the boat um, mm-hmm. between food, water, water. Uh, supplies, camera equipment, etc. You know we the, the Arctic is very dry, so you know you have to you have to bring water with you um, or a water maker. Um, you not obviously not for the whole passage, but you know you you have to be mindful of that sort of thing. And there are very few places to to stop along the way. There's a few villages. Um, so we'll maybe once every three or four weeks we'll be able to pull in. And we'll have some um, some food uh, sent sent to these village uh, postal depots, and we'll be able to resupply that way. But you know, we'll have to have food for a month at a time and camping equipment, uh, all all the stuff you need for a full expedition. How much?
0: How much margin are you planning for with like your food supply and stuff? As far as taking longer to get into
1: probably a couple of weeks um you could be you could be held up for a couple of weeks at any given time out there with with a bad weather system or something like that we'll also have uh fishing equipment and um you know that sort of thing uh we we both have spent a lot of time in the wilderness and uh you know I've, I've I managed to make do without a lot of food for for a fair amount of time I so. know <laughs> <laughs> I can go hungry <laughs> um but can you
0: row a boat while you're
1: <laughs> yeah that's a great question
0: <laughs> what's your i mean i don't want i guess i don't want to reveal too much to your british compatriots but what's your daily mileage target
1: five to 30 miles 30 25 to thirty. holy miles. cow um but that's that's with rest days and everything else Um, and you have to keep in mind that days and nights are kind of arbitrary. That time of year in the Arctic because we will be in the polar summer. So we basically will, the first month and a half to two months of the expedition will be in almost constant daylight. So it's more a sense of go when the weather's good and rest when the weather's not good. Um, and that may mean that we have some days where we're, we're, we're rowing big, big numbers And then two or three days where we're waiting out a a weather system.
0: Mm -hmm. That is crazy. I'm like, I'm trying to think through. I can't even imagine. You're gonna be tired. That's a lot of
1: (laughs) (laughs) tired and skinny. Yeah, I'm just like
0: (laughs) thinking through what it takes. Like, I don't know if you've ever paddled a canoe around a lake with nothing in it. You know, you paddle your canoe around a little lake for 45 minutes and you come back and your shoulders are kind of tired and sore. Yep. I'm assuming that you've got some sort of, do you have like a rowing machine that you're just going nuts on or are you just, yeah. I mean, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm rowing every day. Um, but the biggest, the big thing is we're leaving in January to train. So we're going to the West coast of Canada and we're going to row up the inside passage, which in and of itself to do that in the winter, um, just as a training mission is pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous. Um, but you know, the, 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 best training is just doing it. And that's basically what we're going to do. We put ourselves in a, in some extreme conditions and weather, and really put the boats through the paces. Um, and unlike canoeing, the, one of the reasons we decided to go with rowboats over a canoe or a sea kayak is that you can generate a lot of power with a rowboat. You've got two oars, 10 foot long oars, and you're on a sliding seat. System. I was just going to ask There's, if you were going to so be fixed, fixed yeah. or sliding. So you're using your entire body, your lower body and your upper body, to pull. And um, those boats, when you're when you're when you're pulling hard on the oars, can can go uh, pretty fast. How <clears throat> how wide is your what
0: your keel width? I guess is that what that's how wide is your width?
1: The beam, yeah. Uh, it's it's four foot at the widest point on the boat. Okay. Huh.
0: Yeah. And I'm assuming that you've been studying like the the mode of I don't want to say failure because. I mean, it's not a failure, but have you been studying the mode of failure for lack of a better term of the other expeditions before you guys? Yeah. And Um, are there common threads or what's the, what have you learned?
1: Yeah. Uh, so going too big on the boats and on the expedition size has been a common failure. Uh, just, you know, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link and, um, you know, you, you, the more people you take, the more potential you have for a weak link there. Uh, dependence upon camping and and finding water supplies seems to be something that sucks up a lot of time and resources for people. So our boats have to uh, each have a small sleeping cabin. So when when the conditions are right, we can just drop an anchor and catch a few hours of sleep and then pull it up and be on our way and we don't have to waste an hour or two hours setting up and breaking down every single day for campsites. We'll have camping gear as well so that when the um, when the weather takes a shit dive we can we can get in and, and put a put a proper four season tent up and, and be, be safe. Um, but that will that will allow us to go faster. And looking for water has been another one. So the, but unlike a small sea kayak, um, the boat's big enough to put a, a water maker in it. So we'll be able to generate our own water. It's not something we have to worry about. Um, it's something that we can just have
0: on hand. So like a desalinator of some sort, I'm assuming, yeah, is that what's- exactly. Yeah,
1: so there's a company that makes, it's the, the world's smallest one. It weighs about 20, 25 pounds. And uh, just fit that into the front of the boat and, and um, not have to worry about finding a water source that's nice so you can
0: while you're going you can be i'm assuming while you're going you can be yeah or
1: just at the the end of the day make enough for the next day that sort of thing
0: and charging on solar i'm assuming is that how you're planning on
1: yeah yeah so we'll have small solar panels mounted onto the boat um and obviously given the fact that we have almost 24 hours of sunlight every day uh charging shouldn't be an issue
0: Hmm. that is that's interesting have have any of the other expeditions, because, I mean, just thinking through all the implications, um, how many of them are, and this is this is no shade to you guys, how many are, like, bootstrapped expeditions versus, like, funded, you know, NSF, yeah. Nat Geographic, British yeah, Explorer yeah, yeah. Society? Like, what's the... Because I'm, I'm assuming that there's some big names that are involved in some of these attempts. Right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, there's been a few. There's been a few shoestring expeditions, and there's been a number of of um, you know big big funded ones. Uh, I wouldn't know the ratio of one to the other, and the, uh, uh, most of them probably fall somewhere between the two on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, we're definitely uh, a bootstrap expedition there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean i mean it seems like
0: some of that's choice right i mean your purpose yeah, i mean the, boat, the
1: boats are homemade for a reason <laughs> yeah you're, you're
0: you know you're you've purpose built to be very very specific what you're doing yeah which is cool yeah. is it like, and
1: go ahead you know i have i have a fair amount of experience at sea um you know i've been single-handed sailing for for years and uh i did a a uh, sailing trip in 2018 across the Pacific in my sailboat, on my own. Dang, that's a. Uh, um,
0: it's funny. I had another question, and that that comment just told <laughs> 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 that totally just just made it um made it disappear. Um, yeah, that totally. I wasn't. Yeah, let's talk about that sailing, sailing alone. You said you like to be alone. Um, I guess, why do you like to be alone and why on a journey like that? Because I can, I mean, sailing, open ocean.
1: Yeah. So I I find that single-handed sailing is probably the ultimate test in self-reliance. You are truly, truly on your own when you're out at sea on a boat. Yeah, you, maybe you have a uh, um, an emergency beacon that you could pull the trigger on if if things really went tits up, but it could be days or weeks or never for someone to actually get to you. You and really the odds of that happening if you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean are really slim. So you're you're completely on your own, uh, and and every and everything that goes wrong, you are you you are left to. Figure it out uh, with whatever materials and tools you brought with you, and there's a massive appeal in that to me. It's I I, I like to test myself, and um, I like being out in nature. I, th- I think that you can f- you can find out some really valuable things about yourself when you put yourself uh, by yourself, alone, in a in an extreme situation. Um, where there's no back out, you know, even on the alone experience, if things got too real, you had a tap out button and within an hour or two, uh, they were going to be there with a hot mug of bone broth and, uh, you know, take you back to your tent, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and let you, warm up, you know, so, but, there, but, but when you're sailing, um, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. And, yeah. and, and there's really no uh there's no glory in it either like you know i i remember i i when i landed in new zealand um after this eight thousand mile trip uh nobody cared like Like, there's nobody there at the dock being like hey you did it yeah that's me with a bottle of whiskey being like damn i'm glad i didn't die (laughs) that's a relief that's funny
0: um it's interesting, you know, when you're talking about that. And I remember talking to, um, oh, man, I've done too many of these. Anyways, talking about Teresa. I was talking to Teresa. And we were talking yeah. about Teresa's fun little swim where her non-auto-inflating um, life preserver was an auto-inflating one oh, and about yeah. killed her. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it was interesting to be like, yeah, you're, you know, between an hour and two hours away from rescue and, and that seems pretty extreme, but yeah, I mean, you're in the middle of the ocean. I mean, you're,
1: yeah. And that, that comment was not to negate the, no, uh, no, not at all. The danger that is present in, in being on alone at any given time, because, you know, yes, you do have uh, uh some, somewhat of a safety net, but there are things that can happen to you out there that, um, that will kill you yeah you, i mean uh, falling yeah. falling through the ice into the water is probably the the most most ever-present danger that you have yeah uh, but you know animal attack or even just, uh, just stumbling and, and 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 incapacitating yourself in a way that you you don't have you, you're unconscious or something you can't press the tap button yeah even i don't
0: now. i don't think i mean i certainly didn't don't take that and i didn't i don't bring that correlation to what you know, we heard from Teresa to say that one is better or harder than the other. Um, yeah. Because certainly, you know, if you take an ax to your thigh or you get extreme hypothermia, an hour yeah. is too long, right? And, would, and an hour is extreme. And, but and,
1: and an hour is just to get someone over over there with some medical experience. Basic to stuff, basic, yeah. Uh, first day. And then you're an hour back. <laughs> or longer, because, yeah. you know, like an hour back to your... To the base camp is not an hour back to a hospital. You yeah. hours, hours, and hours away. At least for in our experience, where we were in Labrador, yeah, hours away from from proper medical care. Yeah, um, and you know I think Labrador probably, other than maybe like the Mongolia and Patagonia seasons, were the most the most remote in North yeah. America of any of the of the seasons.
0: Yeah. the The reason why I bring that correlation is is again to your point. It's not to you know. Uh, what you see is very real. But I, I think in my brain, I'm thinking through the the mental clarity and the mental focus that would come into play. It, 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 to me, that's the side of it, the, the mental aspect, right? Of like, yeah. it's one thing to be on, you know, be in your truck full of gear and be out of cell service, you know, but you've got your in-reach and you know that within a few hours, someone can get to you. And then you add that up to you know, the alone experience and each of these, I'm assuming you're getting more and more mentally acute and, and more and more tuned into what you're doing. And so if you're in a situation where you, you know, you have no idea what rescue would look like, uh, only then it would be really expensive. (laughs) You know, I'm assuming that that brings just a a lot of clarity and a lot of focus and puts you in a, a very unique mindset that probably is hard to, replicate anywhere else.
1: Absolutely. I um you know if it had not been for my uh single-handed sailing experience, I doubt that they would have ultimately picked me to be on the show. Um because that that did that was a kind of a unique set of skills um and a ba- a unique background that I don't think anyone previously who'd been on the show had had brought. Um I out of our season, I would say that um juan Pablo was probably the the other person that had the most kind of experience of ex- in extreme isolation and in extreme conditions um yeah he's why he did so well he's <laughs> <didn't man>, the man <laughs> freaking machine yeah I <laughs> we'll we'll throw
0: another gratuitous plug in there I don't know if if anyone I, I think the book is called Thrive. um juan Pablo's yeah. book that he just published um I had the pleasure to to read that a little bit and and uh, yeah, that dude it's is <laughs> incredible.
1: I had the I had the honor of uh, of being one of his uh, beta readers for yep. that book. Yep. And when he when he asked me, he's like, "Hey, I'm writing a book. Uh, I'd love for." for you to to look it over and tell me what you think i was like yeah sure dude he said you know i'm like thinking yeah. it's gonna be like 150 page book 100 page book or whatever and i get this like yep, <laughs> encyclopedia yep no really like <laughs> and i just look at it I, I i looked through it and i was like this is all in your head <laughs> shit, this man has just written one of the definitive mm-hmm guides to wilderness, long-term wilderness survival yep i mean it's not just uh it, it's an incredible book. yeah like i i i read that and was like wow man i wish i'd, wish I'd read this thing before, I went before I I right. well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what happened I to have... me is like i did the
0: same thing i did a pre-read forum and, and did some proof stuff or whatever right and i was doing the same thing i was kind of expecting I don't know what I was expecting, but I think I was expecting, yeah, like 150, 200 pages, good, solid information, you know. I was not expecting to get literally like the encyclopedia of anything outdoors. I mean, it is... It's yeah. absolutely nuts. Thankfully... Not,
1: not to mention, he's such a good writer he's good. as well. Mm-hmm. Like like the, the the passages... I mean, as someone who is also a writer and a, and a, and a prolific reader, um, the fact that English is not his first language and you yeah. read that book and it's like, wow, this dude yeah. is... Uh, he is a <laughs> worthy champion. <laughs> yeah. Th-
0: thankfully, I had... Thankfully, this is funny. I had just gotten covid like i i just like my day one of covid was like the day after i got my like link to be able to jump into the book right yeah and so downtime yeah i had some (laughs) downtime and i mean i think i read i must have read six or seven hours six hours a day for Mm. like a week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get through yeah. i mean i was really you know doing a deep read but anyways so talking about juan pablo yeah his book's amazing go check it out if you have any questions on anything um it's really good
1: and the the the, the thing that he does amazing justice to in that book one more just one more thing about it is uh something that i hadn't seen in uh, many really any other previous survival books and that was how deep of a dive he took on the psychology of survival mm-hmm um, one of the books I read in preparation for loan is a book called Deep Survival. And uh, it, it talks that it, this guy basically looks at uh, various instances of, of when people have survived or when they have died and, and how much the, the mental aspect uh, yep. plays a role in that. And uh, f- for him to spend the first 100 pages or so in the book, going over the psychology of survival for anyone who is planning on doing a, a, a long-term survival thing, especially anyone who's planning on going on alone, those, that, those are the things, those are the nuggets. Those yep. really are, um, the things that will, will make, could make the difference between living or dying. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure JP wouldn't mind all the talking about his books. So if you want
1: to say more about it, I'm sure he's
0: going <laughs> to say, yeah, no! yeah, that's enough.
1: He gets enough of that. Yeah.
0: But, uh, this is about Adam, not about JP. Um, and I think that's fascinating and I, I think anyone, this is something that I've thought about a lot and unfortunately I have another project that people have heard of that, I I don't know, <laughs> too many things going, I guess, that where I talk to, I'm trying to talk to people that have been like real life lost and hear those yeah. stories, right? Because for me, I've been real life lost and there's like, you can prepare for everything but your mind completely blowing up. <laughs> Yes. Like, cause your, your mind just, I mean, it's your most powerful tool, but yeah. it's also your like worst adversary. And, you know, so for me, I started thinking about, I'm like, man, like what, what is like the gap today that, you know, people are like, oh, I can make a friction fire and I can do this, I can do that. It's like, yeah, but have you ever had your mind completely blow up right. because you're lost? And have you tried navigating all those things that you know? in that situation. So it's super important stuff. So there you go, JP, we're done. (laughs) And
1: that is, that is one of the things that I find as a, as a fan of alone, the most fascinating uh, aspect of the show for me is the psychology Mm -hmm. of the show and watching how different types of people respond to that kind of stress. Yeah. Because particularly in some of the earlier seasons, you, you, you see a number of people who surely know how to do a friction fire or, uh, you know, spend a lot of time hunting on the weekends, or or spend a lot of time out in the woods, but had never um, experienced the stress of of being hungry and cold and alone yeah. for weeks on end. Yep, and uh, watching watching people break down or or or, or just deal with that is. I mean that's that's what makes the show unique. There's nothing yeah. else like it on TV that that does that. Nothing. And that's know?
0: the beauty of those of those early seasons too, in a lot of ways, is because like, you know, your season one and season two folks, they had no idea. Like <laughs> no. It, you They know, thought they were
1: gonna be out there for eight months. Yeah, they had no idea.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They had no idea and, and not in a bad way, but like someone, you know, going into season nine, you've got the benefit of being able to watch
1: absolutely you
0: know seven seasons six seasons yeah. prior to going out so you're like oh okay this is what's going to happen um you know because the the script is the the non-script script is pretty similar right um yeah and yeah. so i just no, can't uh, imagine you- those first two like having literally no idea what was coming i mean that would be now you're just walking off a cliff basically
1: absolutely and uh, you know, also the benefit in, in knowing what to take as well. You know, there's a reason that the, the the ten item list. If you look through what people are taking now in seasons eight or nine, it's pretty similar, man. You yeah. know, there's a there there's a few people mixing things up. Like you know, in, in my season, I was the only person to bring a tarp. Um, brilliant. By the way, Jesse, Jesse brought a machete. Yeah, thank you. That um, that tarp
0: was uh was the whole. Was the whole tarp that like clear material, or did you like make a tarp out of various?
1: Like no, know? it was twelve foot by twelve foot clear plastic with the reinforced fibers that you okay. would use in a uh, greenhouse or something like that. Yeah, um, and I had a lot of I had a lot of I, I I bought one before I went on the show, and I played with it. I made all sorts of stuff, um, just so that I knew. What I could or couldn't do with it. Yeah. I like, for example, when I the first one that I bought when I was preparing for the show. I tried to make a pair of gators that I could use to like wade out mm-hmm. into the water uh so that I could fish a little deeper. That didn't work. <laughs> it did not work. Um, As I we learned a, from our friend Terry, a, you don't need waders
0: up there. You just go in naked. Yeah, and be just fine. I made a,
1: I made a coracle, which is a, a, a type of skin-on-frame boat that I was planning on making out there. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. And get a chance to do that, but yeah, the, I had I had, I'm very happy to have that item for sure. Yeah,
0: that that tarp was kind of a, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, huh, that's brilliant. And it was, I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see what people do in the future. But it seemed kind of like a revolutionary idea. For those that haven't seen, we don't want to, I don't want to give away too much, I guess. But if you're listening, you've probably seen. So you brought that. It was a clear tarp. I mean, you used it for windows and just all sorts of just smart things that just help the small stuff.
1: So the thing that I like, I, I brought the tarp instead of bringing cordage. And I think that for me personally, I, I know a lot of people love cordage, but they, I think that if it's, if you're, if you don't have the ability to make a gill net with it, it's kind of an overrated item um, because there's a lot of other things you can use, including the tarp to make cordage. And yeah. one of the things they didn't show on our season was that one of the first things i did with that tarp when i got there was i I cut it into strips and i braided like 30 or 40 feet of cordage out of it um and i used that to build my shelter and and for various other things and that
0: there explains my question of i because the way when the tarp was like introduced this is so weird we're talking about a tarp from a tv show (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure someone at home is like I hate you right now. (laughs) It's a tarp. Um, But that's interesting because for me, the reason why I kind of thought that you might have basically made a tarp, i.e. bought tarp material from a few different types of tarps and then essentially welded them together to make one tarp that fit the size requirements. I don't
1: think they would have let that fly. (laughs) I'm not sure. And
0: that's because of when the tarp was introduced, it's already like it, it was small pieces. And so I was like, oh, anyways, brilliant. Um, I I, moved on. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to think like anything else from alone that, that you feel is important to, to share or that you like want to get off your chest or just anything from that experience.
1: Um, no, I loved Labrador. I will say that much. Uh, it was such an amazing, beautiful landscape and I loved being on the river. Uh, you know it was it was a overwhelmingly positive experience for me from from the very beginning all the way to the very end uh i left with a smile on my face and i like yeah it was just an incredible incredible opportunity and i i hope that they go back to labrador for the next season or their seasons subsequent i know that some people were disappointed um that there wasn't a any polar bears or big elk or caribou or anything like that but the opportunities were there it just just didn't pan out um that way Uh, and that's just the way she goes when it comes to the wilderness you know you go out uh hunting and 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 not see a damn thing for a dozen times you go out
0: yeah
1: you know that's that's the way of the world that's that's how it works (laughs) yeah um
0: it's it's a lot different than having a refrigerator in a grocery store. <laughs> right, exactly. Or maybe it's like a grocery store at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot more sparse. I, With your experience and like your background, um, you mentioned you like the psychology of the show. I think the psychology piece of Alone is, is what really is interesting to me. Like the this, like this stuff is cool. Like it's awesome, but I, I agree. I love the, the human side of the show, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing with talking to you all um but with your background with obviously you know an 8000 mile solo sailing journey was there anything psychologically that caught you off guard about the alone experience was there anything that you were like I'm ready for this and then you're like wow I was I was not mentally ready for that
1: yeah uh the homesickness really the- yeah, dude that that one really threw me for a loop. I have been away so many times in my life for six, seven, eight months at a time, and even been in situations where I haven't been able to call home or, or get updates on by email or anything for weeks or months. Uh, but something about being in that experience, and being totally cut off in the midst of COVID. Um, really threw me for a loop. I had this weird thing when I was out there that uh, one of my parents had got COVID and the, both of them are super high risk for, for um, complications complications exactly and for some reason I got it in my head that one of them was like gonna die from COVID and because we're on the river the, uh, you do hear the boat going mm-hmm. back and forth uh occasionally for visiting other people on the river or whatever and there was a time there where every every time i heard the boat coming i was like "Shit, they're coming to this tell is me. it yeah. the parents did and i couldn't shake it out of my head it was so weird and i had to like you know tell myself like no everybody's fine it's fine nothing's wrong your, your parents are fine but this, there was just this, I don't, know, I don't know, I guess that was maybe my brain just um, processing the isolation mixed in with the hunger, you know? Yeah. Um, I have never, I, I, a lot of experience, you know, kind of being on my own, but I, I didn't really have any experience being hungry like that. Um, I never really had to starve myself. Like, maybe you've probably
0: been hungry it. on adventures, but maybe not starving on adventures. Yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> And uh, it is really interesting how that how that affects your overall psychology, because mm-hmm. I think there's a part of your brain that is trying to figure out a way to get food into your system. And if that means convincing you to leave, that's what it's gonna try and do yeah. by whatever means that it can. And that's something that I think a lot of people who are critical of, of uh, alone contestants don't realize or have, I don't have any experience in in the ways that hunger affects your psychology yeah. and affects your ability to moderate your brain and your and your uh, your thoughts. It's 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 wild. I'm really glad that I've gotten to experience it, and I feel really grateful that I've gotten to experience um, extreme hunger because that is such a was such a normal part of our human condition for tens of thousands of years yep. uh that that it it's interesting to to experience it and like it's cool man like your your senses become so heightened like every food tastes amazing like the the berries out there the blueberries I would hike like forty minutes out of my way to to find a blueberry patch on certain days because, like, I was just so craving that sweet sugar and 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 you know, I knew it was a calorie. I just so. I just heard <laughs> the
0: <laughs> he has burned approximately twelve hundred yeah, calories exactly <laughs> in order to gain fifty calories of berries. <laughs>
1: um, but you know, I was out hunting anyway, and my brain's like, well, you never know what you're gonna see yeah so you know especially you on a berry up, patch especially on a berry patch exactly um and you know as much as I was in, enjoying hunting grouse um and squirrels and I had a lot of success uh with gr- grouse and squirrels I ended up killing 22 grouse and 20 mm-hmm. something squirrels uh I was always looking for a bear every single day that's yeah. really what what i was i knew that was like the golden ticket you know um So being around the berry patches wasn't the worst idea in the world. But yeah, the food, the food was incredible. Like if I only had more, I would have felt healthier than I ever have in my life just on that diet.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, talking to, to Keith, Keith Sires, he, his was kind of the same thing. He's like the, the thing I was most surprised by was, was that food interplay. Um, you know, having been hungry before and having done lots of awesome stuff, um, for him, that was like the big takeaway as well. And I think something that is an interesting part of this, if, if someone really stops to think it through is you talked about how your brain is going to start doing anything it can to get you to get food. Cause it knows that you're essentially slowly dying and it needs to keep you alive. And so have it, I I can only imagine that having, knowing that you can get out of there, you can have that cup of warm bone broth. I, that has to be like mentally so taxing. Um, just having that kind of there when you start to get to those bad points or did it eventually, did that eventually go away for you?
1: It went away. Yeah. I didn't, um, I don't really think that that played a interesting a huge, a huge factor in in, in my decision to t- it wasn't like I was it wasn't consciously being like all I got to do is press this button and I can eat tonight That <laughs> was never really something that that crossed my mind. It wasn't until I started um, uh, deteriorating physically that I really felt like um, it was time to go it, it, it and that was that was kind of a, a combination of factors based more on the fact that I knew based on the, um, the talent of the other, uh, participants yeah. that I was looking at another month yeah, and, uh, you know, based just, just ran the numbers. I was like, all right, I've lost 57 pounds. You know, I mean, I didn't know exactly how much I had lost, but I had a good guess that it was around mid fifties and, uh. I was like I got another 30 days at this rate I'm losing a pound a day. I ain't got 30 pounds left on me man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just didn't so um you know I I like to think it was a, a pretty practical decision. Yeah. But um you know it certainly didn't hurt that, that i would get to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: and that was I'm not even like referencing like, you know, your specific decision. I can just... I guess I I think I know myself pretty well and it'd be pretty easy to be like, huh, you know, I haven't eaten for three days and, you know, that brain is gonna... For me, I think the brain would be playing that card pretty hard.
1: Um, Yeah. So one thing I found out um, when I was out there was the different levels and stages of hunger (laughs) and they're pretty distinctive. So like, I think that a lot of people who haven't starved before are under the impression that like that hunger that you feel when you wake up in the morning, you skip breakfast and you skip lunch and you get to dinner and you're just like, there's that kind of like gnawing in your stomach. And that's the hungriest you've ever been. Um, you think that like that feeling is just going to exponentially increase the the more hungry you get, but that's not the case. That feeling disappears after like 24, 48 hours, and you go through a period where your body's digesting its fats. And you actually, once you adjust to the amount of food that you're used to eating, you don't actually feel that hungry that much. But then you hit the second tier where it's this like deep hunger that is, it's more like a, like you're constantly thinking about food rather than like that gnawing physical feeling. There's just this like mental thing going on in your brain where your, your every action you're thinking about food every 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 morning you wake up You're thinking about what you what you could potentially want to eat if you have food if you have food stored up and you're trying to store it it becomes really hard to not eat it um it takes a tremendous amount of self-discipline if you've got like a couple of grouse in your in your freezer or whatever to just be like no those are your rainy day grouse. yeah <laughs> Which is funny to
0: think about that,
1: (laughs) right? You start eventually. Eventually, I think once you run out of usable fat, you hit this third tier of hunger that's like in the bones hunger, where you can't sleep at night, and you you just feel physically tired from it. Like your body's worn out. You're slow down. Your brain starts slowing down and uh that's kind of like a crazy level of of hunger to experience
0: did the mental because i mean maybe it's the way you describe it but i'm hearing like your stage one is like your average hunger that a lot of people might not have even experienced in their lives and then stage two is like burning through excess fat and then maybe three is like wearing to into muscle and organ basically mm-hmm. um Did the, did that mental, obviously the mental acuity goes down, but did that mental fixation change from two to three or was, was it three, you were still fully fixated all the time on food? Like you were in two, it just, the the feelings and the, maybe the capabilities are different. I don't know.
1: Um, three felt almost like a combination of one and two like the physicality of it started to return but in a different way where your where your 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 body is just like starting to slow down it's starting to like shut things down a little bit in order to preserve that last shred of fat that it has on it um, but yeah the, phys- the 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 physical cravings the, sorry the mental cravings are they still they're still, still there, there. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a stage four where that goes away and then yeah. you're dead, you know? <laughs> very, I don't know. I very didn't get that far. That's <laughs> um, Juan Pablo. Did, right. <laughs>
0: did, you, did you find that um, that when you were in that, you know, like that, eh, we're just going to call it, there? there's now officially four levels of starvation. Anyone who has written a PhD on the subject doesn't know anything because there's four levels uh when you were in that level three did you find that it was still easy for your body to give you like an adrenaline dump of energy to go procure food when the opportunity was there or was it
1: Like, i guess i'm just trying to like think through like that was that was when i started having to make some critical decisions about what what i was capable of uh in in that final in that final um chapter And, and and, you know, the, the last few days that I was out there, I was having to go further and further afield to find food because I had kind of drained the resources in my immediate area. Mm-hmm. So I was hiking out a, a few miles from my camp along the river, uh, which is really tough hiking because there's a lot of dead and downs, a lot of, a lot of obstacles, a lot of Hills uh, and valleys. And, um, it was, it was exhausting even when I was healthy. But I remember I got to this point where, like, I I, I just ran out of gas. Like, I I think that's the thing that you feel the most is that, like, you physically feel your gas tank. Whereas, like, if you have some reserves on your body, if you're in a normal, healthy state, and you go a day or two without eating and you get some bad sleep, you can kind of just power through it, you know? Like, you're just like, oh, God, I feel like crap. But... I just get through the end of the day, get a good night's sleep. I'll be fine. Um, that's gone after a certain time and you when you feel your tank is empty, there like every single step becomes this like monumental struggle. like like you're walking through lava and uh, <laughs> you're just trying to like remember I was it was very cold and it was maybe three hours away from my camp and uh hit this wall and i was like shit i got to get out of here i got to get back like it started it was snowing it was like starting to get dark almost and i was just like oh my god i'm kind of in a survival situation right now because like I, 50 I days either... in adam realizes he's in a survival <laughs> situation <laughs> like and i was like i need to i need to figure out what i'm going to do and i was in this valley hunting grouse And I was like, okay, I got to top out of the valley because I can't walk back the way I came. I don't have it. I don't have it in me. So I struggled up to the top of this hill. And then, like, it was kind of like a bog up on top of my like, I had like this steep hill, very heavily treed hill with all these little valleys and creeks. And then you got up onto the top and it was all burned out, like just like Carrie Lee's site. It was like, Dead trees and low bushes and it's very wet, but at that point it had all frozen over, so it was actually fairly easy to travel. So like the first month, month and a half, that's that area was really difficult walking because you'd just be step in the wrong spot and be knee high in water. But at, at, at some point it froze over a little bit and then it was like, oh God, I can, I can walk normal. <laughs> so I managed to get up there and get back, but it was kind of scary. You know, it was like, oh man, like this is what it feels like to hit your physical limit. Yeah. Like, and and that was unusual for me because, you know, normally like I've I've always been able to like jump over that wall and 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 find the resources to kind of like get myself wherever I need to be. And I did that, but that wall became really high and really difficult to jump over in those <laughs> final days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just that's to me it's just it's an interesting <clears throat> it's just an interesting thought of trying to understand Cause like the body and the mind is so fascinating and mm-hmm. how it interplays, you know, and, and what you've just shared, I think is, is very fascinating to hear your experience of what that felt like physically and, and mentally. Um, just that point of, of what does the body truly keep in reserve at any given time to be able to do a thing, to, be able to do the next thing you know yeah just it's i don't know it's interesting um it's funny we were in an hour we haven't talked about uh, alpacas. i like still (laughs) thank god (laughs) (laughs) i still have questions like about the over the top i've got questions about your your solo sailing um, oh, hit me, man.
1: anything <laughs> we'll
0: anything else about alone or, or that experience while we're still here
1: no nah, uh, I'm, I'm i'm a forward-thinking person i'm like i haven't been thinking much about alone since the show came out i'm i'm my mind has been 100 focused on yeah on uh 2023 Good and this this next thing because this is like the easily the most difficult thing i've ever attempted in my life
0: are you someone who is is constantly like do you feel like you need to be working towards some big thing like was there something i guess i guess the answer to that is yes you had your solo sale and then after that it seems like you were probably pretty soon after starting to gear up into this alone thought process and then alone wraps up and now you're gearing up towards over the top like do you already know what's 2024 like or is that no, kind of on hold no. for
1: 2024 is gonna be rest and relaxation i think mean. <laughs> <laughs> sit down through our mountain of uh of footage and 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 make make a, a really cool documentary that's, like, that's what 2024 is to look like cool. but uh beyond that like the next big thing i'm just open to to whatever that may be but to answer your question yeah i think i, I really thrive in the and in and in, in, in in finding something to be passionate about and to that, that, that can consume me um and and to just strive towards it i i love pushing the limits and i think i feel like everything i've done i've kind of like leveled up a little bit and uh you know just keep leveling up until i can anymore i guess <laughs> cool um how far
0: for over the top like what's your I'm assuming it's going to be, it's close, but how far offshore is your typical, will you typically be, and then how deep of water depths do you think you're going to be in usually, or have you looked into that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I've studied the coastline fairly closely. Uh, The depths are quite variable, um, especially in the first, we're, we're going from west to east, and... Especially for the first several hundred miles, there's, there's quite a lot of shallows and, and and shoals and sandbars. It's quite sandy. Um, so some of it will be shallow. But to be honest with you, anything over six feet, it, may, it could be, it doesn't really matter. Yep. <laughs> um when it comes to the the depths, other than the way that the the tides and the and the and the swell will affect in that, fact, yeah. obviously, if you're in your shallower, swells will feel uh, bigger, and and we'll, we'll, tides and currents are going to play differently. That sort of thing. Um, as far as how far offshore we'll be, again, it just depends on the conditions. Um, I think that we'll stick fairly close to shore because the weather can change so dramatically. You can go from dead calm to 30-mile-an-hour winds in an hour out there. And we need to be nimble enough and, and close enough to shore that, that if, if the conditions really take a dive, that we can get in and keep ourselves safe. So I think probably a mile or so offshore. But there's a couple of uh, big um, uh, crossings that uh, we have to do that there's no way around them that will be upwards of 70, 80 kilometers, uh, across, you know, so 18 hours on the oars, 18, 20 hours on the oars with a, with a really good weather window. Um, that's the only way that we could do that safely.
0: Hmm. Will you, um, what kind of food are you bringing? I'm like, cause there's, I guess there's the, yeah. What kind of food are you bringing? Cause like, Today, endurance events today are like you know it's not long term sustainable. But there's a lot of short term, highly sugared, highly caffeinated energy food, and then there's obviously your deeper sustainment. Are you doing a mix of that, or is are you leaving out the the high sugar, quick energy? What's what's your stuff look like?
1: Uh, we have not actually discussed nutrition that much yet. Um, Timogen from season nine, uh, is a good friend of mine. He is going to be helping us out uh, with the medical side of things and with planning, um, and I'm hoping with nutrition as well. Uh, but in the long term, I think when you're talking about two or three months, you eat the foods that your body's going to crave. Um, mm. That's what I did with my, with my sailing. And uh, I think the healthier, the better. Um, I, I don't really like the freeze-dried uh, ready meals, even when I'm on a regular camping trip. And i'm sure we'll have a few of those on lock for when 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 we just need to cook something quick and and, and eat but there's a ton of salt in those they're not very good for you yeah. um i i would imagine that a lot of our food is going to be freeze-dried but, but we'll probably dehydrated ourselves um or freeze-dried ourselves uh pemmican would be a really great choice it's, uh, something that's going to maximize our caloric intake for the weight so, foods that are heavy and not very nutri- nutritionally dense are not going to make the trip, because every pound counts when you have to pull it with your with your own body strength. Do you all have access
0: to a freeze drying solution?
1: Uh, I, have a dehydr- I have a de- dehydrator. dehydrator. Yeah, oh. um, and we can figure something out. We can smoke food. We can. We can. Yeah, we've, we've got options. Um, we'll. We'll probably start uh, really digging into that in the spring, uh, once we once we're getting a little bit closer to the time. Cool, good on you. Um,
0: and then another question. I hate asking the obvious questions because that's boring. <laughs> Talking <laughs> about the obvious stuff isn't fun, but your your solo sailing, um, especially your eight thousand mile journey. What was the like the most I'm. assuming. I mean, sometimes I guess the answer is no. But what was the most scary part or the most real experience on that
1: journey? Oh man, um, I had a couple of. I had a couple hair raising moments. So I the the boat was old. It was a 1961 uh, Choi Lee wooden sailboat. Um, absolutely beautiful boat. It was made out of teak and mahogany. And there was a shred of plastic kind on of the thing. It was all wooden and steel and and, and bronze and beautiful boat. I, I bought it in Panama before the trip, especially for the crossing. I paid ten thousand bucks for it, which is absolute freaking steal. And uh, I had maybe two days solo experience in the boat before I took off. <laughs> so I just kind of like put some food in there and just went for it. So um, I'm, I'm going
0: to stop here for just a second because I'm assuming that boats are either set up for solo sailing or set up for like crewed sailing or is that not a thing? Some
1: boats are easier to sail by yourself than others for sure. Was this a and, good
0: solo sailing a, vessel? The okay. perfect
1: solo sailing boat yeah okay. so you know it was 35 foot which is not tiny tiny but it's small enough to comfortably handle the sails on your own uh and if something went really wrong you could power the sail down pull a sail down physically if you needed to if, uh, if something happened with your rigging um and it was a sloop design so that means like you have your main sail and your foresail, which is a really simple rig um only having two sails to handle was makes things a lot less complicated um and it was a tiller so you know i from i could lay down in my in my uh cockpit and with one hand i could adjust the self-steering mechanism i could put my hand on the tiller i could see the uh chart plotter and I could pull in on the jib sheets, which is the the ropes that control the, the foresail. Exactly. I could do everything from seat to position, uh, which is great. And I did that a lot. I just slept out in the cockpit and just laid back. So really, you sat on your butt for 8,000 I sat on my ass for three months, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I had some... I, the, the, the reason I was, was saying that was because, because the boat was old, some of the... Um, some of the things on the boat were, were pretty old as well. And the self-steering system, which is this elaborate contraption that sits on the back of the boat and it has pulleys and gears, and it has a little, um, a little rudder down in the water and a little sail up. And basically like if you set your course and if the boat deviates from the course a little bit, the, this little sail that's on the back catches the wind and tips over. And then that moves the rudder and pulls you back into position. So you kind of like very like uh like small zigzags down the way, and it's been that's something that's been around for about sixty years, and it's amazing. Like I would set my once you know how to use it, you just set it, and it's like having a second crewmate on the boat. Like you just like the if, as long as the wind doesn't change. Okay, the wind that's just, what I was Like wait, how,
0: how do you how's this accounting for wind? It's not accounting
1: for wind. It's just no. So okay. as, so when you're in the trade winds obviously there, there were days when I would go two or three days without having to touch anything. It was <laughs> um, but when the conditions change, if the, if the wind changes, then your boat's going to go off course. So you, you're having to constantly monitor your position and adjust the sails and adjust the self steering system to, to account for that. But the one that I had on my boat was about 45 years old and, uh, it was in need of some repairs before I left and, and, and it, it definitely stayed needed, it, it stayed that way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at one point I had to make a repair uh, on it and I dropped this bushing overboard as I was putting it back together. I didn't have a replacement. And suddenly I didn't have a self-steering system because I didn't have this bushing, this one little item. And it I I had this like auto tiller thing, a little electric auto tiller that was really meant for just like bringing the boat in and out of the marina. And i I mounted that while I was trying to figure out what to do. And that thing just started like getting progressively worse and worse. I I was about 800 miles from where I needed to go. And the thing about it is like, if you don't have a self-steering system and you're by yourself, you have to be on on it all the time, all the time which means that I was uh, suddenly faced with this potential of having eight days on the tiller without mm. any break whatsoever, which is a life-threatening situation, let's be honest about it. Um, and I tried everything. I was taking like wine corks and boring them out and trying to fill it with epoxy. And and uh, I tried to use that as a bushing and the cork didn't hold up. It just deteriorated after like two hours. And I tried making one out of wood, and it wasn't flexible enough. Uh, eventually, it was like day two or three, and I was like getting really worried about it. Um, and I was sitting on the, in the in the cabin, and I looked over, and I had brought my skateboard with me because a skateboard's actually like a really handy uh, thing to just throw in the dinghy when you're when you're showing up somewhere. Bushing's on the trucks, bushing on the truck, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh that's that's got a bushing on it and i took the i took the truck apart and i pulled the bushing out it was almost the exact right size <laughs> and i slipped it on there and it worked like a charm it got me like two thousand miles oh, that was my next question
0: <laughs> but did that like yeah. make it through or did you
1: yeah so, so you it, was, it, it was it like was a little it wasn't well. ideal because it wasn't the right fit my steering started deviating a little more than it normally would but It got me to, I think it was on the island of Maria in uh, Tahiti, um, in uh, French Polynesia, sorry, that um, I stumbled across another sailor who had the exact same self-steering system on the back of her boat, and I rode over there and was like, hey, buddy, (laughs) you don't happen to have a bushing, do you? And they did. They had a whole spare set, as any rational, normal sailor would, Um, and they hooked me up. But... (laughs) The other drama with that self-steering system was on the way down to New Zealand, and uh, the the um, uh, the steel uh, rod that hold held the rudder in place snapped in half. Hmm. And it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I was down below trying to get some rest. And suddenly, I feel the boat shift in a, in, in a weird way, and once you've been on that, on a boat for that long by yourself, you become, it, it becomes like an extension of your body. Anytime, anytime something changes, the weather changes, the, the, if you start feeling the boat move in just a tiny different way, you're alert to it. You suddenly like, and I just remember sitting up, I was like, something's not right. And I ran up on deck. And first thing I did was I ran back to the self steering system. Cause I knew that was the most likely culprit. And this rudder was like hanging on by a thread of metal. And I didn't have a backup. It was the only rudder I had. <laughs> so I immediately like reached over and I grabbed it and I pulled it up. Like but were I had you at a risk
0: th- of losing the whole thing too?
1: risk of losing the rudder, which would have left me without a way to steer. Um, and I reached so back. So not only and broken, I- you almost lost it. Almost lost it, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That, this, that It's just corroded. I mean, it's the ocean, you know? Like even stainless steel, like you find a weak point and it corrodes and it just eventually it's going to go. Um, grabbed it, pulled it back up on board, and I had a spare piece of uh pipe that I could use to reattach the rudder. But the problem was, this thing hung quite far off the back of my boat. And in order to get to it, I had to squeeze myself uh through the pulpit, which is like the steel rail that, like, the protecting rail to the, to keep you from falling off the boat it was like ran along the back of the boat and this is like four o'clock in the morning and i have this whole heavy ass rudder in my hand and i tried to squeeze through and i can't fit so i got to take my um, life jacket off my harness and my life jacket so i stripped down naked and I squeeze myself through this space, and I'm hanging off the back of the boat. The weather's not great. The boat's bobbing up and down and and, and, and swaying and yawing. It's pitch black. And uh, I, I managed to, with half my body over the back of the boat, get this uh, rudder back in place. And I try to pull myself back, and I can't get back. Like, I, I, I too, squeeze myself too far. And I had no leverage to pull myself back. So I'm stuck halfway off the back of the boat, hanging off the back of the boat, stark naked, 4 o'clock in the morning, 700 miles from anywhere. And I, ha- I knew what I had to do. I had to pull myself all the way through, through. drop down into the water, and then pull myself back up onto the boat. Um, before the boat kind of got away from, me.
0: yeah, to say, yeah, before it
1: takes a ride. But fortunately, I had the sails down because I had been making this repair. But that was one of the scariest moments of my life. I had a little panic attack, to be uh, honest with you. I, 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 because just the, the thought of plunging into this like pitch black ocean <laughs> without any safety tether by my, I was just like, oh my god, this is. It, I, I just had a little, yeah. Like I said, it took me a minute to really just kind of let myself do it, but I had to. So yeah. squeezed through, drop down, and immediately like grabbed on to the pulpit as the boat like came down in a wave, grabbed on and just like shit yeah, back. Gotta not get
0: whacked by that thing too. And not get whacked gracious. by the rudder.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> this is gonna, <laughs> this is not gonna come out the way it's intended, but I have to say it even though it's it's not going to come out right. But basically we just learned that, <laughs> that on solo, solo sailing trips, you need spare bushings and Vaseline. Again, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be out the way I wanted to, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> A bushing kit and Vaseline and you would have... Yeah, that would have been helpful. And you would have been just fine. Um, yeah. Man, that's... Uh, yeah. But
1: one of the things that... One of the lessons I learned on that trip is that... Uh, When you're preparing for something like this an expedition like that the details really really matter Mm -hmm. because even the smallest thing like a bushing or an o-ring if you just let it slide and you don't you're not mindful of the details that tiny little thing should it fail could snowball into a life-threatening situation and suddenly you're faced with a situation where you are screwed. You, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Another weird question. Were you like, when you had the realization that you had a bushing kit with you, uh, with your skateboard, were you like, did you ever stop and be like, you idiot, you've had this for three days and you've been awake for three days straight trying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how, I kicked
1: myself over that, but I mean, more than anything, I was just happy that I had it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a moment there. I was like, God, why did you not think of this? <laughs> <laughs> Three days But ago. The, this, the skateboard was like tucked away. It wasn't like I visible. Was, uh, and... Yeah. Visible. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm.
0: yeah. That's interesting. You know, it's one of the things when I talk to people and, and you read about these experiences and things that, that people have done, um, and I don't know. I mean, it's probably a commentary on on modern living and on just how easy things are. But it's it's interesting to stop and think of. Like, you can't just be any old person anymore to, that goes out and does stuff, right? Like you have to have lots of varied and broad skills to be able to say, "I'm going to fix a rudder," and I'm going to do like to be able to do so many different things. And I don't know, just the preparation and thinking through the the people today that are capable. Well, everyone's capable if they do it, if they prepare for it. But knowing that you're out there and you have to be able to fix any problem. Like you have to be a master of engineering on your self-steering system and on your everything
1: not necessarily a master but well a jack you know <laughs> like you gotta be a bit of a jack of all trades for that kind of thing um and i think to be involved in any kind of like wilderness expedition you have to have multiple skill sets yeah um, for sure and even to be on a, a show like Alone, you have to have multiple skill sets yep. as well. You know, like for me being on the show, I was able to lean pretty heavily on my carpentry background um, as well as my sailing background and, and my, my outdoor survival skills and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and I had kind of done all of these different jobs over my life, uh, wrenching on cars working in a wilderness therapy program, teach myself how to sail, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff definitely comes in handy and 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 yeah, you got you got to be able to wear all sorts of different hats, especially when you're by yourself.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, Adam, this has been fantastic. I've uh, yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot and I've had my my eyes opened a ton. I'm going to ask you one last formal Sam question, I think. Um, <laughs> and then we'll let you kind of give some closing thoughts or any last things you want to mention or talk about. Um, but a, a few years ago, I guess it's uh, seven or eight years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a, a whale watching excursion off the coast of Oregon. And the reason I call it an opportunity is because it, it wasn't like a perfect day. It was um, a day that they probably should have like not done <laughs> the whale watching trip for a bunch of just, you know, idiots off the street. Um, but so we were in stormy seas in a Zodiac. So a great, you know, a great little vessel, but, um, we got hit in the storm and like everyone, you know, we're going out and like everyone's coming in, you know, and we're like, yeah, that probably should have been a, been a a clue, but I'm grateful that like the captain of the vessels like kept us out there because I got to experience, you know, it wasn't, it could have gone sideways really quick. Um, but like swells big enough that you'd rise and you went down into the valley, like you couldn't see shore or anything. You were just in the, in the wave, you know, Mm. and that experience, like my dad was in the Navy and like, so I'd hear his stories and that experience of just being on a, a freaking motorboat, Zodiac, low sides in the middle of a storm, like it kind of changed something in me like it. I don't know. It just, it did a thing. And so I'm curious of what your experience is like, what your thoughts are on, on storms on the open ocean and, and what that's like solo sailing. Cause I'm assuming you didn't have perfect bluebird weather the whole way, unless you did. No. <laughs>
1: um, there's something really, uh, intense and cathartic about being out in a storm at sea and I've, i i i can't think of uh a, a, any other natural phenomenon that i've been in where where i have felt so small and insignificant as the times when i've been out at sea in a small boat and and at the mercy of the elements um it's awe-inspiring it's terrifying or it can be if you, if, if, especially if you don't necessarily have a, a lot of confidence in your boat, my very first sailboat uh, that I had was not a was not a supremely seaworthy boat, and I got caught in some fairly big storms in that boat, and and it adds a layer of of fear when you when you can't 100% rely on your boat. Whereas Rose, my my boat that I crossed the Pacific in, even when the weather got real bad. I felt safe in her, you know. I knew that that I was the the the, the limiting factor. You were them, yeah. Yes, um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. And going up to the Arctic, uh, one of the things that that I've when spoke speaking to some of the other people who have attempted it is the the size of the waves can be quite big. And and you know, there was a couple of days with Kevin who did it, uh, the one, the guy who did it with the four man team, um, where he said that they were experiencing house sized swells. these just these massive rollers coming yeah. through. And, uh, you know, it's cool, man. The yeah. ocean it's, it's thing it's <laughs> like,
0: I'm just in your thinking. Cause like, I don't know. I think that's another like life experience. If you've never been on a small boat out at in the open ocean, <laughs> In a storm,
1: because like it's not, it's not for everybody.
0: <laughs> no. Well, when we got back, like there was probably four or six others that were on the trip with us, and they obviously called it. You know, we went out and you know puttered around, not puttered around. I mean, we're moving around for like an hour or so, maybe forty-five minutes. And we get back, and the four or five other people that were on the excursion with us were all like pissed off, and they wanted refunds, and they were like so mad. And I got off. And I'm like, thank you so much. Awesome. That was literally <laughs> like, you know, I saw That's all whales, about perception. I though, saw whales it? from the lighthouse like three days ago. I'm cool. Like that is like yeah. one of the top ten things I've experienced. And and uh, to this day, like so I wanted to ask about it because it just there was just something I think your point about you've never felt like you just don't you don't ever feel that small ever when you realize that like at any moment, you know, like there's just you're powerless. And and we were Absolutely. in like a very high powered, very sophisticated, very capable boat. We knew what we were doing. And it still was just I don't know. It's amazing. So
1: And it's that's also the you know, um the power of gratitude and the power of perception are huge there. Like whereas some people would look at that experience and see purely negative Yeah. Um, forever. The They're always gonna they, look back and be, be mad about it. it. Yeah, they didn't see whales. They went out to see whales and they didn't see them. Therefore, it was a failure of a day. You are looking at that and and seeing I experienced something I've never experienced before, and I was able to uh, experience the power of nature. And I love that. Like, yeah, I think that that's that's a hallmark of a survivor. Honestly, is someone that can take an experience that can be scary and overwhelming. And find the positive and the value in it yeah like i i
0: feel i guess i feel bad for them because it's like yeah i will too. look back on that and be like one of the top experiences of my life because i mean especially in a commercial setting like how many times are your average people that aren't sailors going to get to say like <laughs> i went out to yeah. on the ocean in the storm and got to feel that especially yeah. when you're when you're reliant upon commercial means to do that right um, right so anyways yeah, no, that's I uh, loved it, and I'm, thanks for sharing your experience with that because it's just, I don't know, it's a cool thing. Uh, as we wrap up, just want to ask you, is there anything else that you want to mention or share or say or whatever as we're closing up today?
1: I guess just one, one final shameless plug for uh, the expedition. Um, we have our Kickstarter active until January 3rd, and then, if you're listening to this uh, podcast after that, um, you can go to our um, website, just over the top uh nwp.com or something like that. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you can you know, just include the link. Yeah, in just the, to say, in the um,
0: don't go to over the top nwp.org, something like that. Just go ahead and check out the show notes, and yeah, we'll have you. the uh, we'll have the full <laughs> link there. So today, for those wondering about times, this is, we're talking on December 22nd, 2022. Um, I will hopefully get this turned around uh, for December 23rd, 2022. Nice. And so hopefully there will be about a, a week and a half, if you're listening to this prior to January 3rd, where you can catch that that Kickstarter campaign. Um, but the Kickstarter and the website will be linked in the show notes for everyone who's listening. So
1: and thank you very much
0: yeah thank you this has been an absolute pleasure and i've learned a ton so appreciate you
1: thanks sam